You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad you are joining us for another episode. And just want to take a moment here, as we always do, and encourage you, if you have not done so already, please uh, go to one of the podcast applications. You can go to just about any that's out there and uh, subscribe and download our content on a regular basis. Um, If you go and do that, you'll receive our episodes each week when we release those, and those can go directly to your mobile device, uh, goes to a a phone or a tablet, whatever it may be that you choose to listen on. Uh, Those will appear for you each week when we release. And so just encourage you, if you have not done so, please download and subscribe. Also want to ask you to go over to our Facebook page and uh, be sure to follow and like that Facebook page and you will find that our videos um, or episodes are posted there each week and so you can share those with friends and family. Um, If there's something that you really like, you can go in there and make a comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Um, there through Facebook. And then lastly, of course, we want you to always spread the word. Please be telling people about the Bonfire Podcast. Uh, Tell someone that you found this really great Bible study podcast and you want to share it with them and maybe get them to study with you. I think that'd be a great opportunity to to introduce someone who maybe uh, won't go to church or doesn't go to church. That may be a good introduction to get them into uh, reading God's word. And so uh, that's always our call to action here that I like to introduce every single week are those things. Well, Dad, on this episode, we are going to uh, continue in our study, uh, Rejoice Always. This is uh, week seven in the series, and uh, we're studying through the book of Philippians. And so we're going to be continuing that um, on this episode. In our last episode, uh, on week six, we went through and completed chapter three and just got into the first verse of chapter four. And so at the end of chapter 3, Paul gave us some tips for successful Christian living, and he reminded all of us that we are citizens of heaven, or our citizenship belongs in heaven, and as such, we should fix our expectations on eternity. We shouldn't be bogged down and worried about the things of this world. It's so easy to get caught up, though, in the things of this world. There's troubles, there's conflict, there's pain, and yes, there is pleasure in this world, but all of these things are going to pass away. So don't get stuck focusing on the here and now, but rather fix your expectation on eternity. That was our our summary from last week. As we move into chapter 4 on this week, the major topic of our scripture text today is going to be focused in on worrying. And, uh, you know, Dad, worrying is the favorite pastime of many people. That's right. And, uh, you know, I found this as I was uh, studying here and preparing for our our episode today. Um, I ran across an article that says that we live in the United States of Anxiety. Uh, That was the title of the article. And according to this article, um, it says that anxiety is now an epidemic in the United States. Um, It quoted that more than uh, Americans suffer from anxiety as a percentage of the population than any other country in the world. And that anxiety disorders affect um, over 40 million Americans. The top three best-selling drugs, and as a pharmacist, I know this very well, uh, in America are for mental illnesses that include uh, anxiety disorders. And then that equates to about $42 billion each year spent on anxiety-related disorders. You know, you were talking about a worry. I heard someone say one time that worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. That's right. Hey, a story is told about death. Death was said one day to be walking down the road toward a modern city 
when a man went up to meet death and asked him what he was going to do. Death said, well, I'm going to kill 10 people. Well, that's terrible, said the man. I know, said death, but that's what I do. Well, the next day, the same man met death coming away from the city, and he protested. You said that you were going to kill 10 people, but a 100 died. I only killed 10 people, said death. Worry and fear killed the rest. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and as I said, it's uh, it's the favorite pastime of many people is uh, that they consume their life of worrying about uh, things of tomorrow, things that of yesterday, uh, things of today, uh, everything that can be worried about, they do worry. And so uh, in the scripture today, we're going to see that Paul uh, gives us some good practical advice on how to handle um, our worries. And so uh, we're going to jump right in and, and, and dive into God's Word now and take a look at this scripture. Uh, for our passages today, we'll be in chapter 4 again, starting at verse 2 and going through verse 9. And so I'm just going to read that whole section, and then we're going to come back and we'll we'll break this apart into individual verses. Um, starting at verse 2, it says, I implore um, Iodia and I implore Sintichie uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, a true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement, also and rest uh, of my fellow workers uh, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, be there uh, sorry, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, these things which you uh, learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. And so that's our scripture again, verses 2 through verse 9 here. And we're just going to start breaking this apart, Dad. The, the first thing that um, I want to hit on is kind of those early verses there and, and verses 2 and 3. And uh, in those verses, we see that there are two women who are mentioned. And apparently the church that began or started by women is now being torn apart by women. You know, remember when we started talking about the intro uh, lesson to Philippians, we talked about the fact that uh, the church at Philippi uh, started on the riverbanks, and that was because there wasn't a house of worship. Right. And the reason why there wasn't a house of worship at that time, there was a percentage of men or number of men uh, that had to be present in order to have a synagogue. And so uh, from that, we take that this was largely uh, a women congregation uh, that mm-hmm. was there. And so uh, women were kind of the starters of this church. But again, now we see two women listed here, and we can see that they are potentially tearing apart this church. What I find interesting, Dad, is Euodia uh, means sweet fragrance, and Sintiche means affable. But unfortunately, neither of those women were living up to their names. Instead, the two of them were causing disruption and disunity in the church. Now, we talked a lot about this. Um, actually, I went back and, and double-checked. It's, 
is the first part of chapter two, which would have been week three of mm-hmm. uh, Rejoice Always. And and Paul was already talking about that there was this dissension, there was this uh, disagreement that was going on in the church. And from the context of reading the whole book, we understand that most likely it was centered around these two ladies. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Paul had a lot to say about unity. And we covered that uh, there in episode three. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd ask you to go back, watch uh, week three of, of Rejoice Always, and you'll find out exactly the details of what uh, Paul talked about in terms of unity. But in these verses, uh, Paul urges uh, that the body of Christ should really rally around these two ladies and strive for unity in salvation, in spirit, and in service. And uh, Paul gives us kind of two things uh, here as we kind of move forward in these verses um, that are, are simple yet powerful solutions. Uh, in verse 4, he says, rejoice always. And so uh, the, the, the cure here for dissension and disunity is joy, because joy drives out discord. And, and Paul offers that as the remedy uh, for the disagreement there in the church. The second thing that he offers is in verse 5, it says gentleness. And this gentleness means that uh, being reasonable, uh, not concerned with unimportant matters that a person uh, may fight over things that are non-essential. And so as I was looking at that, Dad, I, I kind of put that in into my own translation, the Matt Parker translation, mm-hmm. and, and how we would say things today. And we would probably phrase that like this, pick your battles. Yeah. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. Or um, some hills aren't worth dying on, right? Mm-hmm. And so Paul was saying, one Find joy in the Lord, and when you find joy in the Lord, all this other disagreement's going to probably fall away. And then the second thing was, uh, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't don't fight every battle. Uh, Some of this stuff is just not worth arguing or disagreeing over. And that uh, you know, you got to pick your battles. That's right. I think we pointed out when we had touched on this in an earlier podcast that most likely these women. Uh, were not disagreeing over doctrine. If they were disagreeing over doctrine, Paul would have straightened things out. Yep. More likely, they were disagreeing over matters of preference. And, you know, just like in a church, do we paint the walls lavender or do we paint them beige, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was just probably a matter of preference. And Paul, he said, be of the same mind. And, of course, he was talking about the mind of Jesus and look at things the way Jesus would. And Jesus, when he looked at us, he put him, he put us before he put himself. He could have remained in heaven uh, on the throne, but he left that and he he put us first and came down here. Now, if they would just apply that and and be considerate of the other person's opinion, uh, Yodia be considerate of Sintichi's opinion mm-hmm. and apply that, they could get through this. Now, unity is very important in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, that's one thing that he prayed about in regard to his disciples, that they may be one, that they might be unified. Now, those of you that are uh, approximately my age, and most of you are not, I'm 61, but let's just say those of you that are in your 50s and 60s and even older, you remember those days of black and white television, and I remember one program, that was a pretty good program, was a program that had Jackie Gleason on it, and Jackie Gleason's most famous saying was, how sweet it is. Well, just like Jackie Gleason, there's a psalm that encourages us to unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. And it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is 
for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then the psalmist went on to say about brethren dwelling together in unity. He said, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of of Hermon descending upon the mountain of Zion. And for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, in these verses, the psalmist, like in the brethren, and of course he was referring to Israel, the twelve tribes, uh, dwelling together in unity to the precious and sacred anointing oil used in the consecration of the high priest, of which Aaron was the first, and the refreshing and life-giving dew found on the slopes of Mount Hermon. The psalmist saw unity among brethren as a good, precious, and refreshing thing. And being a pastor, I know it's a wonderful thing. When the people in the church are unified, they're not uh, disagreeing over preference. They've got the mind of Christ. They're putting each other before they put themselves. That's exactly right. And so um, as as common sense as it may be, it's it's actually harder application. Uh, You know, it seems like uh, many times uh, in in our, our history of being around churches, uh, people like to get stuck up on those small things, right? right. The, the things again that uh, that Paul would say in verse five that you know they're not using gentleness, they're not being um, uh, mindful or reasonable about things that truly matter, and so it, it's something that you have to really guard yourself against because human nature is you just find these certain little nitpicky things and you try to dig your heels on, in on that, but that's not what Christ would want us to do, right? Um, and, and in the large scheme of things, they don't even matter, right? right to the to the larger cause of Christ, and so. Uh, Paul here, he's telling these two ladies, he's like, I, you know, just stop your fighting, stop your stop your disagreement. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is a non-issue. This is a hill that's not worth dying on, and uh, there are bigger things uh, that we need to be focused in on right. uh, than, than this this disagreement. And so he calls again the the other people around them and says, hey, help these two. Uh, help these two ladies to 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 sort it out and just say, hey, it's not worth it. it, it whatever we're we're arguing about it, it's just not worth worth it. We got bigger things that we need to focus in on. Um, you know, they needed to reach those people that are around them. There were people in need, and that's the focus of taking Christ to other people. Not arguing over what color the carpet is, or what we're going to paint the walls, or even what time the service is going to be. Right. You know, in other passages of Scripture, we're told that if you see your brother uh, commit a sin. Then go to your brother in spirit of love, uh, not pride, because if you, you feel like you're not going to fall, you'll be the very one that will. But go to your brother or your sister in spirit of love and, and challenge them to, to, uh, to think a different way, to have the mind of Christ. That's, uh, I mean, we need to do that oftentimes in, in church or at work, you know, to just go to people and help them. That's exactly right. So again, Paul tells us to to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's that term rejoice. Uh, th- this verse kind of is the key verse why, why we're naming this series Rejoice Always. Um, and so find joy in the Lord. And when you find joy in the Lord and you're focused in on that, all the other stuff's going to kind of fade away. And uh, it's not going to be things that you're interested in. And then, of course, uh, focus in on what truly matters, the things that that uh, that that need to be uh, something that you hold your stance on, like you said, doctrine, Dad. That's something that if there's a problem with doctrine, yeah, hold a stance there. 
but some of these things we don't need to. Um, then Paul transitions and he begins to go into some other things uh, that will, will cause a, a Christian not just disagreement and not just disunity, uh, that will cause a Christian to kind of be held back. And that's that topic of anxiety or worrying. And so uh, let's look at verses 6 and 7, and I'm going to read those again for us. It says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So um, I love here, Paul says, don't worry about anything. He says, uh, be anxious for nothing. You see, Dad, I think Paul, he understood that worrying uh, is not productive. And right. you, you talked about it. Worrying's like just, you know, sitting in a in a rocking chair. When you sit in a rocking chair, you expend a lot of energy going back and forth, but you never make any real progress. That's right. right. There's a lot of motion, but there's not a lot of uh, forward direction uh, going on there. And in fact, worrying and anxiety can be destructive. Uh, it, it's actually the opposite of productive. It's destructive. And so the Greek word for anxious used here means to have a mind that is divided. And that's between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. Destructive thoughts will choke out the Word of God and, and cause believers to abandon their trust. That I, as I was studying, I ran across a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I like what he said here. He says that our anxiety does nothing to empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it only empties today of its strength. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was a very uh, powerful statement there that uh, really that's what it is, that we, we put our focus on things that are tomorrow or even things maybe that are behind us, but all it does is it robs us of, of strength for today right. and the things that we need to be uh, focused in on. What I find interesting here, Dad, is the Bible has a lot to say about worrying And of course, Paul was uh, speaking here, but we also have uh, a passage uh, directly from Jesus uh, when he talks about worrying. And so I wanted to read that for our our listeners here. So we're going to flip back over to Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be verse 25 uh, through 34. Listen, these are red letters, okay? So this is Jesus speaking himself. And he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Neither do they sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to your statue? That, that That's just great stay, saying right there. Verse 28, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider... The lilies of the field and how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I would say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grasses of the field, uh, which which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, verse 31 here, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek. For the Heavenly Father knows that you need all things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day 
uh, is in its own trouble. And so I just I think that's great words there as well. Jesus himself says, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. His his speaking here was about kind of the material things of, of being able to clothe yourself and feed yourself and maybe even provide shelter. And uh, he gave the, the great examples of look at my creation and how I take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And if I take care of the birds and the flowers and the fields, uh, how much more am I going to take care of you who was created in my very image? Right. And I'm going to provide for all, all of your needs. I know what you need. I know exactly what you need. And I'm going to give you those things. And that, that last statement there where he says, you know, tomorrow can worry about tomorrow. There's enough stuff going on today right. that we need to be focused in on today. And isn't that so true? That's right. I mean, there, there's enough worry and angst and, and, and problems in today that we don't need to be focused in on tomorrow or even yesterday for that matter. So mm-hmm. uh, we have here both Paul um, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost saying, don't worry. And then Jesus, this is the Son of God, God in human flesh, who says, don't worry. Yet we all still worry. Mm-hmm. Why is that, Dad? I, I just, as I was thinking about it, I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I'm speaking here, but I do this myself. I worry from time to time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got to thinking about it that, you know, well, worrying and anxiety is is really the root of it is in fear. And fear is the primary tool of Satan. And I truly believe that Satan and the forces of hell, they use fear to provoke worry and anxiety in the hearts and minds of people. Mm -hmm. And they do that particularly in believers because they know just how powerful and destructive uh, it can be. Mm-hmm. And so um, th- that's that's the reason why. is One, it's, it's human nature, but I, I believe it's our sinful nature, and I believe it's the powers of hell working in us to try and get us thinking about things that happen behind us that we have no control of, things that are coming up ahead of us that we really have no control of. And uh, he, Satan himself does that to get us in a position to where we're ineffective because we're just worried about everything, and we can't focus on actually doing what we need to do. That's right. You know, the sad thing, Dad, is um, as we worry, most of the things that we worry about um, really aren't anything to worry about. The truth of worrying, I found these statistics. This is from a research study, a large research study that was conducted, that 40% of the things that people worry about never actually happen. 30% of our worries are related to past matters, which are now beyond our control. 12% of our worries uh, have to do with our health, even when we're not ill. 10% of our worries are about friends or neighbors uh, that are not based in evidence or fact. Only 8% of our worries have some basis in reality uh, of which we can actually take ownership and change. So that means 90% of the things that we worry about are outside of our control or things that we can't, can't handle things that maybe have already passed and it's water under the bridge. And that's pretty striking uh, there, that research, that only 8% of the things that we that run across our mind are actually things that we can do anything about. That's exactly right. You know, if you're going to win over worry, folks, you've got to believe God loves you, that he sees you in your situation, just like he knows when the sparrow is going to fall, that God knows you. I mean, he knows the number of hairs that's on your head. He really knows you, and that God wants to help you. In 1929, J.C. Penney's business was highly unstable, and so he began to worry and became sleepless. He worried to the extreme and contracted shingles, which caused him severe pain. 
While in the hospital, Penny was given medicine to tranquilize him, but it was of no help. He still worried about his business. Well, one night, he felt as if he was going to die before morning. And so he started writing farewells to his wife, son, and friends. But by the next morning, as he was lying on the bed, he heard singing from the hospital chapel next door. No matter what may be the trust, God will take care of you. That verse from the familiar hymn. Suddenly, he leaned up thinking, it's real. God loves me and cares for me. In no time, he had jumped out of his bed and entered the chapel. And then a a miracle took place in his soul, as if he were a little bird suddenly freed to fly out of the dungeon into the sunlight, from hell to paradise. Folks, just like with J.C. Penney, it is of great comfort for me to know when I'm facing a crisis that God loves me and that he sees me, that he is going to take care of me, and he is going to help me. But now, if you need help with something, uh, Paul tells us what we need to do. We need to go to God and ask. That's right. That's right. Paul says, when the problem is worry, the prescription is prayer proper thinking and proper actions. And so let's look at uh, that first prescription there, the prescription for prayer. And Paul writing in in verse 6 here, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And so uh, Paul just didn't write, uh, pray about it. Instead, he used uh, different words to describe really the, the correct way to pray. And he used the term prayer, he used supplication, and he used thanksgiving. Paul wanted to be sure that his readers understood that our prayers must be conducted in the, with the correct intent, in the correct manner. You know, Dad, I, I worry that all too often Christians uh, fall into the habit of treating God like a vending machine or a genie in a bottle. You see, you only approach a vending machine when you want something or you need something, right? Right. You go there because you're hungry. You go there because you're thirsty. Never do you go to a vending machine for any other reason than when you want to get something from that machine. Right. Likewise, the same could be said for those wishes that come from a genie. There's no other reason to approach a genie in a bottle if it's not for something that you're wanting or wishing for. Uh, if we follow Paul's in- instructions, though, he says, no, you, you just can't go to God and just pray about it and say, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. He he gives us some, some ways to structure our prayer and our prayer life as we approach God. He uses the term prayer, and the term itself, prayer, that is a, a term that is, is describing worship and adoration. And so the first step in praying right and approaching God in the right manner is praise and adoration, worshiping the God who loves us and has done so much for us. And so that's the first step. The second step that Paul says is supplication. And supplication is is when we have an earnest sharing of our needs and our problems. Uh, Dad, I, I looked up that term supplication because I, I typically think of that as just a biblical term. Uh, but even if you look in a modern day dictionary like Webster's, you'll find that mm-hmm. that word you know does exist. And and the definition is a, around a humble and honest request. Right. And really, that's a, a great definition for what Paul is trying to say here: is that we must take our our humble and honest request to God and let them be known. But we can't have any ulterior motive. We can't have any other uh, reasoning or, or, or backing behind what we're going there uh, asking for. It needs to be truly 
what we're needing, what we're looking for, um, and we present that to God in, in a humble way, not just because we're going there because we need something. That's right. God wants to supply our need. Now, someone might think, well, if God already knows what we have need of before we ask, why do we even need to ask? Well, uh, I think we ask because think about this. If God were to do things for us without us asking, we might not think about that the source is God. We might think it's just happenstance. It just it just happened. But when we have a need and we ask God to meet that need and then he meets the need, then we know that the need was met by God and we glorify God and give him the praise that he desires and that he deserves as God. That's exactly right. I think of it from the the parent-child relationship, right? God is our heavenly father. I'm a father. I have a daughter. And um, I know the things that my daughter needs help with or needs, um, but I like to have her come to me and request that, to request help or to say, Daddy, I need this, I need that. Um, because it builds that relationship uh, of reliance on right. me as her father. Mm-hmm. The same thing is when I go to God, I'm showing reliance on God uh, that, God, this is what I need. I need you to take care of it. I can't do it. And, yeah, he knows about it, but he wants to hear from us. He wants to have that relationship uh, with us, not just some you know impersonal uh, deity in the sky who's raining down blessings. He wants to have a relationship, and he wants to provide for you through that working relationship with him. That's right. You know, you think about the Lord's Prayer. If you read the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, he was teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus was, yeah. you'll notice that it is a prayer that consists of asking. Yeah. For daily bread and et cetera, asking. Yep. God wants us to ask him, uh, to bring to him our our needs and our requests. And he said that he will meet them. You that's know, right. uh, If you ask not, you have not. You know? <laughs> that's exactly right. In that prayer, Dad, the thing I like is, you know, they ask for daily bread. Well, God knows what we need daily that's bread, right? right. He, he knows that, but still Jesus prayed for that. Um, again, that example of even though God knows, you still take that to, to God in prayer. The other thing when I think about uh, supplication is the fact that many times um, we think that God is only the God of big problems. But in reality, God wants to be the God of all your problems right. and all your, your needs. And so many times we, we get you know frustrated about things here on this earth, and it may be something very small, and we fail to go to God in prayer. And in doing so, it, it's really uh, a showing that we got a lack of faith there, mm-hmm. that we're not taking everything to him. And I've been guilty of that before, you know, of, of saying, well, oh, this is just something small. I'm not going, that, that's something I, I'm not going to uh, bother God with. But in reality, he wants to hear everything. Right. Uh, the smallest little issue, the smallest little care that you have, he's interested in it. And he wants to hear from you about it. And that's the way that you build that relationship and you you gain trust and you build faith is by taking everything that you have uh, to him in request and, and, and desire and need. That's right. That's right. The, the next thing Paul says, the third thing that he says um, is thanksgiving. And so we should approach God with a heart of gratitude and we should be thankful uh, uh, to him. There is so much that, that God has done for us. And just to go to him in, in prayer and say, God, give me, give me, give me, and not take time to thank him and also to praise and worship as we have already talked about 
is is the inappropriate way to prayer, and that's what uh, Paul is trying to steer us clear of is is to make sure that we do this in the right manner, and that we should go and we should say thank you, God, for all of the things that you've you've done for me. Now, Dad, I know that there are some people that uh, they may be going through a really tough time right now. Their their life may be characterized by trials and by troubles, and they may think to themselves, "What do I have to be thankful for?" But I'd ask all of you who are listening, do this for me. Take a deep breath. There's something you can thank God for right there. The fact mm-hmm. that you got air in your lungs, the mm-hmm. fact that you're breathing another breath and you're still alive is something that you can thank God for. And one of the things I've been focused on in my life, Dad, recently is um, it, it, we, we like to think that you know God is a God of blessings, and he certainly is. Um, but he's not the prosperity gospel that you turn on your TV and you see preachers preaching about. That's mm-hmm. not how God works. That's right. Um, God provides peace. He provides love. He provides assurance uh, in the midst of all these bad things that are going to happen in your life. That's mm-hmm. the blessing is that you can live life and go through some terrible things, but it's okay because you got him. And, um, you know, I just have been changing my thoughts there of – you know, if, if if I never have anything else good happen in my life in terms of worldly standards, I still am so thankful for God and for what he did for me because he saved me. Mm-hmm. If that's the only thing that I can ever say that God blessed me with is salvation, then that's enough to sing his praises and say thanks to him more than I can ever pray. And so uh, please, as you get ready to go to prayer, don't think that you don't have anything to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always something to be thankful for. Thankful for salvation. Thankful that God made a way uh, that you could be right with him. All of us deserved hell. Right. All of us. I'm just a worthless old sinner. I didn't deserve to have his love and his grace, but he gave it to me. Right. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the the air in my lungs. I'm thankful that I can walk and talk and I got arms that can move and legs that can can move. And there's so many things. And I would encourage our listeners, if you get into a spot where you're saying, well, I don't know what to be thankful for, get you out a pen and a little piece of paper and just start writing down things that you're thankful for. It could be small things. Mm -hmm. It could be thankful that, well, at this moment, it's not raining. We've had a week full of rain and I can see the sunshine. Mm -hmm. That's something to thank God for. And you just continue to make these lists of things that you're thankful for. And before long, I promise you, you'll figure out, I need another piece of paper. And so you go get another piece of paper and just keep writing those things down. And when you go to God in prayer, just start going down that list. And start praying for them. And as you pray, you'll find that as you're praying and you're praying that list, guess what? There'll be more things that come to your mind and you're like, oh, I got to add that. I got to add that. There are so many things to be thankful for. And going to God in prayer without thanksgiving is the wrong way to pray. You know, you talking about that writing the list just brought something to my mind I'd never thought about before. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor, full-time pastor for 36 years we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And, of course, I, I always ask someone to begin our prayer chain thanking God. I mean, that's one thing I always do. But I thought about it. The list that, that we pass out, it's a le- it is a list of sick people. It's a problem uh, list. The problem list, the yeah. people that we pray for that have needs. Yeah. And, and we have never passed out a thank you list. Yeah. We need a praise report list. A praise report list. Yeah, a thank right. you list. A thank you list uh, because, uh, you know, you think about it. I bet the same thing's true in your church. You've got a prayer list, but when you say prayer, it doesn't have very little to do with thanks. It's got to do with request uh, of someone being sick or, or some kind of situation. But that thank you list is a pretty neat idea. You know, uh, Matt, it's been 
probably maybe uh, seven or eight months ago at least, I was uh, praying and and I got to thinking about uh, thanking God and I thought, well, I I don't do enough of thanking God, and I said, God, I I prayed and I asked God, I said, help me to know how to thank you more, and in that prayer, God directed me uh, to the passage in the Bible that pertains to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it occurred to me that the fruit of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. When, In other words, Jesus, when he... Uh, reacted to people. He or he went to people. He always acted uh, to them with love and and kindness and gentleness. Uh, God has patience with us. Jesus has patience with us. I thank God he he exercises self control because I probably needed to be swatted many times. But he exercised self control. And I thought all of these things that are the characteristics of God that he wants me to have as characteristics in my life and I can have through Jesus. But I, I need to thank God for being this way, for being kind to me, gentle to me, for being patient with me, for exercising self control, for loving me, for um all of these things, and it just revolutionized the way I pray. And so now when I pray, when I hit my knees, one of the first things I do in my private prayer life is I rehearse the fruit of the Spirit, and I thank God for all of these uh, these characteristics of His and the way He is toward me. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, that'll give you something right away, nine things to thank God for. That's exactly right. And and so I would encourage all of our listeners out there, when you go into your prayer time, it, think about your prayer time. If if you do it just based off percentages, you'll probably find that your worship, praise, and thanks is probably less than ten percent of your praying, and ninety percent is is your your wants, wishes, needs, and problems. And uh, and and that's okay. God wants to know those things, but I would encourage you to to change those percentages. And uh, it doesn't mean that you're not telling him all your problems. It just means that you're adding more praise, you're adding more thanks uh, to your prayer, and so thereby the percentages are going to change. And and uh, I'd love to get to a position in my prayer life where my praise and thanksgiving is more than my request um, and, and that I'm, I'm giving God more than I'm asking for uh, is kind of the way that I look at it. And I, I think neat. that's a, a great way to to approach it. And so, uh, again, here Paul says, if you're worried, you need to do three things. You need to go to, 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 to God in prayer. You need to have proper thinking and proper actions. We just talked about prayer. A prayer is not just praying about it. Uh, prayer is going to God in the right manner uh, where you're worshiping, you're praising, you're giving thanks, and you're humbly uh, telling your problems and offering your problems up to God uh, for a solution. Now, Paul didn't put it here, Dad, but I'm going I'm to add it because I think it, it needs to be said. I think too many times uh, we as Christians, we're really good about going to the throne room and uh, getting on our knees before God and 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 laying our, our cares down at his feet. But all too often, when all of us say amen, we pick them back up and we walk away with them. Oh, yeah. And and I, that's not what's intended here. You know, when Paul is telling us that we need to, to go to God in prayer and make these things known, he's saying that you leave them there. You don't take them with you. 
you know, if you're going to go and you're going to put it at, at, at God's foot, feet and you're going to say, God, I need help with these things and you're turning it over to him. If you're really turning them over to him, you're not going to pick it back up when you walk away from him. And uh, that that's a, a major problem. And that's contributing to worry because you go to God in a prayer, but you, then you take it back with you and you just worry about it some more. And then you go back to God in prayer and you take it with you and then you worry about it some more. Um, the, the, a mature Christian, and and I'm far from being one, uh, knows how to go to God and knows how to lay it there and leave it at his feet and say, God, I, I truly turned it over to you. My hands are off of it. It's yours. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you do that, you'll find, as our scripture says here, you're going to have peace that's going to come to you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that that worry and that anxiety is going to rob you of your peace, and ultimately it can rob you of your joy as right. well. As well. So, Dad, let's look at our our next prescription here, and that's uh, proper thinking. And so, you know, Paul is is setting up here that he uses that term anxious. And if we look at the Greek term again, I said that's about having a divided mind. And uh, the Greek context, Dad, I love the Greek language because there's so much more that's in a word than our English language. Um, And one little term can mean just this long sentence. And uh, and that's the case with the the word that was used here is it, it refers to being divided in mind and having thoughts that are good and thoughts that are destructive, thoughts that are whole and thoughts that are, are, are repudiated. And and so uh, the second prescri- prescription here is to think properly, is to do proper thinking and to focus your mind not on the things that you're worried about, but things that are going to bring about good things and a good mindset uh, here. We see this uh, in verses uh, 8. So let's read that together. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So again, Paul says, you know what? Get rid of the destructive thoughts of worrying and meditate on these things. The term meditate that I use there means to ponder, to consider, to value, to give proper weight to. And what does he tell us to meditate on? He says, meditate on on things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report. And then he says that if there are things that have virtue or things that are praiseworthy, you need to, to spend your time thinking on those things. And so, Dad, what I love about this is truly a lot of this is a, it's a mind game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a mind game that we have a little bit of control over. Actually, we have a lot of control over where we place our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And we, make, we can make a conscious effort. Uh, to to change the way that we're thinking and not think about the things of yesterday, the th- maybe the things that we did that were failures or disappointments or or things that we we did wrong in our life, but we decide to think on things that are good, things that are pure, things that are holy. Um, I, I like to 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 take this a little bit further, and I've realized that uh, the statement "garbage in, garbage out" is really true. Right. And, and for me, uh, garbage in is things that come into my mind, things that I see, uh, things that I listen to um, affect me and what I output and, and, and my output of, of Christian uh, living. And so for me to keep my mind on these things that are pure and holy, and I cover what I watch, I cover what I hear. And for me, part of that was was music. I got in a, in a stance there for a while that I was listening to uh, secular music and I was listening to uh, talk radio and all, all these different things that were nothing to do with the things of God. And I would find myself at the end of the day 
I would be mad. I would be just bitter. I would be just, I, I was in a terrible mood. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, because I figured out that, you know what, I'm putting garbage in and I'm getting garbage out in terms of my, my reaction to things. And so I changed it up and I said, all right, you know what, I'm going to turn off some of that mess uh, that I'm watching, some of the mess that I'm listening to. And I'm going to focus in on things that are pure, things that are holy, things that are noble, just lovely and of good report. And I started listening to podcasts like this uh, that that are talking about the scripture. Uh, so I've got several uh, ministers that I listen to their podcasts weekly and and uh, listen to their sermons and and try to gain uh, education and understanding from them. I, I listen to Christian music. Um, I'm a I'm a Southern gospel fan, so I, I like that particular music best. And it's amazing how if I start my day with my own quiet time and prayer and reading the Bible, um, and then I go into listening to worship music, uh, listening to uh, you know uh, either podcasts from from uh, another minister or something like that, my output is so much different. Because I don't have garbage in, I don't get the garbage coming out. Uh, I have a better response. I have a better way of acting. And uh, I, I put that all in proper thinking. It, it allows my mind to be focused in on what I should be and not distracted by the things of the world. You know, oftentimes we sit down and we uh, are watching the television and something comes on the television that uh, the station that we don't like and you know, particularly that uh, offends us as a Christian. Well, I mean, we could sit there and we could continue to watch that and pollute our mind, or we could change the channel. Yeah. And sometimes I I'll, might not be in front of the television, but I might have a, a wrong thought to come in my mind, an evil thought that the Lord, not the Lord, but the devil puts in my mind. Well, just like I changed the channel on my television set when there's something that's evil or wrong that comes on and I change it to another station that's better, we need to practice changing the channel in our mind. When the devil starts attacking us and putting evil thoughts in our mind to change that channel, and there's a lot of things that we can change the channel too uh, and think about, and that's what Paul's telling us about in our Scripture, what to think about. That's right. True, noble, just, pure, love. Lovely, good report, anything with good virtue and praiseworthy. You know, the, another thing that I think about in, in this uh, section here, because um, you're, you're like, well, what are what are examples? And obviously we talked about, you know, uh, spending time in God's Word. We talked about listening to uh, to good Christian doctrine podcast, uh, listening to, to good Christian doctrine uh, music um, are all things that you can do. But uh, one of the things that will allow you to do this, even in the midst of a, of a busy day, um, and something I'm focusing on is, is trying to memorize the scripture. Yeah, you know, trying not not just reading it, but actually go through and try to memorize verses, whole passages, and and let your mind meditate on those things. You know, if there's a certain area of your life that you're struggling with right now, maybe it is worried. Maybe you need to memorize verse six where it says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. That would be a good thing for you to commit to memory. And then in the midst of your day, when Satan comes at you and tries to get you discouraged to think about the things that you you used to do or uh, to worry about what's coming up tomorrow, you can just requote, you can recite that verse. And that would be a good way to dispel uh, those evil thoughts, those destructive thoughts, and put it on something that's pure and holy and lovely. That's right. That's right. I heard one time that the word meditate means to chew the cud. And a cow, you know, when a cow's out there grazing during the day, 
the cow might eat that grass, but that grass come back up later and he'll chew that chew the cud. Yeah. And so that's what it means to not just in a, a fleeting moment think about something that's good, but to concentrate on it, you know. Yep. To chew the cud. That's exactly right. Um and so uh, Paul says, change your thinking, use proper thinking, uh, think of things that are, again, a true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, things that have virtue and that are praiseworthy. And then Paul offers us uh, one last prescription for our worries, and that is uh, to take proper actions. And that's in verse nine here. We see in verse nine, it says, these things which you have learned and received, heard and saw in me, uh, these do and the God of peace will be with you. And so uh, Paul just puts it very clear here. He says, you know what to do. You've been taught. Uh, you've been shown. You've been instructed. You have uh, godly examples, as we talked about in our previous podcast, uh, for you to follow. Uh, follow them because they're following after Christ, or follow me because I'm following Christ. And in doing so, uh, you're going to get rid of your, your worrying problem. And and then, Dad, the, the last thing that I see here as we kind of get ready to, to wrap up um, is the net result of all this. Uh, so the net result, as you read through this section of Scripture, and, we, and I haven't really talked about it yet uh, to, to much, but I want to make sure we hit it before we go, is uh, peace, is peace. And so uh, let's go back and look at, at verse 7. It says, you know, after you're anxious and that you've given your, your request to God, verse 7 says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And so verse 7 says we have the peace of God, but I want you to look at verse 9 there. It's a little bit different wording here. It says, uh, things which you have learned and received and heard and saw, uh, do these, and the God of peace will be with you. So we have the peace of God and the God of peace. Uh, so we have not only uh, God's coverage and his peace coming to us, but we actually have God himself uh, coming to our rescue um, as we focus in on the things that we're supposed to and not worry about the things of of uh, tomorrow or, or yesterday. And then as I was thinking about peace, um, I, I got to thinking that, you know, everybody wants peace, mm-hmm. and uh, but peace is hard to find in this world. Mm-hmm. And if, if you just do a, a Google search of peace, you'll find uh, things that come up about uh, peace treaties that are that are happening all across the world with different countries. You'll find uh, a peace corp. You'll find uh, people calling for peace. There's so much talked about peace. There's a longing for peace. Uh, but I'm I'm here to say that it, in outside of Jesus Christ and God, there is no peace. That's exactly right. And you're not going to find peace anywhere else. And there's no amount of money. Uh, there's no uh, amount of things, material things, and there there's nothing in this world that will bring you peace uh, like the peace that can come from knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with Him as your Heavenly Father. And uh, there's just so much peace that comes through that, the peace of God, and then you get to have a relationship with the God of peace um, at the same time. It's an amazing combo. That's exactly right. We've been talking about worry, how to win over worry, so to speak. And if worry's got a hold of you, then you need to direct your prayers to God. We talked about that. Yep and dwell on the things of God. And as Matt said, when you do that, you direct your prayers to God and dwell on the things of God. He will give you peace. I want to kind of bring this to a close by giving you a little illustration here. Uh, And this illustration has to do with President Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. 
a person who resided in the White House for four years with the family of President Lincoln, says that the great president once came into the room with slow and heavy step and sad countenance and threw himself upon a sofa, shading his eyes with his hands, a complete picture of dejection. Mrs. Lincoln observed his troubled look and asked, Where have you been, father? To the War Department, he answered. Any news? Yes, plenty of news, but no good news. It is dark, dark everywhere. He then reached forth one of his long arms and took a small Bible from the stand near the head of the sofa, opened its pages, and was soon absorbed in reading them. Fifteen minutes passed, and on glancing at the sofa, his wife observed that the face of the president was more cheerful. His dejected expression was gone, and his countenance was lifted up with new resolution and hope, wondering at the marked change and desiring to know what book of the Bible had comforted Mr. Lincoln. She walked gently around the sofa and saw that he was reading that divine comforter, Job. President Lincoln's stress and worry was relieved through reading the Word of God. And folks, yours can be too. If worry's got you, dwell, dwell on the things of God, His Word. Direct your prayers to God. And like we said, the God of peace will be with you. He'll give you His peace. And He'll He'll steal that 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 worry in your life. He'll do that. Now, some of you that are listening to this podcast, you don't know the God of peace. Now, to come before him with request, you need to be one of his children. And the way you become his child is to admit that you're a sinner, to be willing out of the gratitude for what Jesus did for you and how he died and took your place and suffered on the cross and experienced a penalty for sin for you, which is death. Turn from those old sins that caused him to go to the cross. Repent. Ask him to forgive you and come and live inside of you. And then the God of peace will be in you. And then you come to him with your request and make them known to him as he's your father. And, and he will give you peace when you need peace. And he'll steal the worry in your life. And that peace, uh, Dad, that you're talking about there, uh, verse 7 here says, is the peace which surpasses all understanding. And that means that uh, there's going to be things that, that are going to rock your world. There's going to be uh, tragedies. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be uh, things that uh, w- w- will cause hurt and pain. But because of the peace of God from the God of peace, uh, you're going to have uh, comfort. You're going to have the ability to go through that and, with strength and with confidence. And uh, people are going to look at you and going to say, I don't understand. I, I don't understand how you, how you got through that. There's no way possible, no, no human way that, that I could go through something like that that you've gone through. That's what it means to have peace that surpasses all understanding because it, it doesn't even make sense. Human minds can't even comprehend it. Um, and uh, I tell you what, when you've got that type of peace and the, the storms of life come and the trials come, uh, you're thankful for it, uh, and you, you'll understand that verse for real. You'll know what it means to have that peace that surpasses all understanding because it won't make sense. That's right. But you got it. That's right. And Dad, will you pray us out of here? Sure will. 
Father in heaven, we love you. We're thankful, Lord, that you are the God of peace and that when we dwell on your word and dwell on you and and pray, uh, Lord, you steal the storm in our life. Uh, You take that worry away and we go from worrying to trusting. I pray and hope, Lord, today that some listening to this podcast that are weighted down with worry would follow this prescription for worry that's given in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. Take it to heart and apply it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.